So I didn't know you got a tattoo. I, I just got a motorcycle. <laughs> we should like start a gang. <laughs> I have to say that the the gang that you have formed here, <laughs> I was out for a transition, is is really profound. I remember being with Reverend Ken at a clergy meeting several years ago, and I just realized that I wouldn't have worshipped in my own church, in the services that I was leading. And I kind of looked around the circle of all of my colleagues, and I was like, which service would I go to? And it was this So I'm really proud of the community that you've created. I'm really grateful to Reverend Ken in particular for being such a profound spiritual guide to me these these years and support, and to Lee as well, and Teresa. What you guys did in Philly when you brought this spirit to that community was one of the greatest accomplishments of my ministerial career, to have you there. So thank you. So... I have since left congregational ministry to explore a new vocation, to engage in the study of law and religion. And the reason is because I have found that those who do not know what's happening about law and religion, specifically in religion and public life, can often be complacent to great, great harm. And so I'm committed to being a public commentary, commentator on the moral issues of our time so as to help people be legally literate about the moral issues of our time. And so, how many of you were aware that there were at least 32 state legislatures recently that have introduced 92 bills to prevent religious laws from being used in court decisions. This happened in the last four years. It gets pretty incredible. Now, that is non-Christian religious laws. Seven states successfully turned these bills into law, including in Oklahoma, where 70% of the voters recently supported a ban on Islamic Sharia law. An appeals court quickly struck it down, and then both houses of the state legislature reacted by enacting a watered-down version of the law that was then signed by the governor of Oklahoma last year. The state's message was simply this. Non-Christian religious justifications cannot be used in a court of law. Now, this sends a very chilling message to any religious minority. And if you know anything about the demographics of the United States, two years ago became the first time when Protestants became a religious minority at 49%. So we are at an incredible point in American history where we are a nation of religious minorities. Now, if you add in Catholics and other various Christian groups, you still get a Christian majority. But then the question is, 
whose Christianity will rule. So to date, there has never been a Muslim, Jew, Sikh, or Native American that has ever won a free exercise case in the U.S. Supreme Court. When examining the success rate of religious groups that bring their concerns to the court, you won't be surprised that Protestant Christians are disproportionately privileged in the results. The same supporters of the bans against Sharia law, specifically non-Christian religious laws, have successfully secured the use of Christian religious laws in the prominent U.S. Supreme Court decisions that were released in the last two weeks. You know this decision as the Hobby Lobby case, of course, a craft store franchise from Oklahoma. Now, they were, seek, they were awarded an exemption from a general neutral law that required for-profit corporations to enroll in with a second party, their insurance company, to offer plans to their employees that would cover female contraception. In order to understand the significance of this ruling, we need to understand what kind of religious exemptions were previously offered by the federal government and where the contraception mandate actually originated, which I think is one of the more shocking parts of this, this study. So what do we know about the Affordable Care Act? It has another name, apparently. <laughs> Obamacare, yes. Well, in this... In this law, it says that you can be exempt from the mandate if you, are, if you meet the following four requirements. One, you have to have a religious values as your primary purpose. Two, you must employ people who primarily um, share the religious tenets. You must serve people who also share those religious tenets, and you must be recognized by the IRS as a religious nonprofit organization. So this law is what made it perceived as it is therefore a mandate to require for-profit corporations to then offer health insurance that covers female contraception. The Obama administration offered additional exemptions to nonprofit organizations, which was highly controversial, um, such as religiously affiliated private schools. So the government simply required that they sign and submit a self-certification form. This was a way to say this con paying into this insurance plan that covers contraception goes against our religious tenets. I then sign that I am therefore exempt as a religious nonprofit school from this law. So it's a self-exempt form. In this way, the government and insurance companies were simply asking for a record of the schools that objected to this law on religious grounds so that they could then administer the plans accordingly. This was the state of the exemption laws as the, as the uh, contraception controversy entered the U.S. Supreme Court this last spring. 
But where did this controversy originate? It was not in the original laws. Now, the contraception mandate is simply this. It's a recognition that contraception is a form of preventative care. Contraception provides many medical benefits to its employees, and it substantially reduces health care costs for employers. And so, put simply, it's good for employees, it's good for corporations, and it is good for then the state to be able to provide equal access to health coverage for both males and females. Now, aware of these mutual benefits, at the time the Affordable Care Act was passed and deemed constitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court, which also was highly controversial, 28 states had already issued similar contraception mandates. The reasons was simple. Contraception coverage is a compelling government interest. The contraception mandate was proven to be a non-issue in 28 states. There were no lawsuits, there were no hearings, no town hall meetings. For years, corporations offered health care coverage for contraception. And there was plenty of evidence to show that corporations, for-profit ones, were aware of this fact and had no objection to it. That is, of course, until (laughs) Obamacare became the political wedge issue of the day. All of a sudden, the particular political powers against this mandate turned once again to religion to divide our country. Now, what do we know about religion in America? Well, we know one trend to be true, and that is religious conservatives have been and continue to be co-opted by political conservatives to advance an anti-government agenda. These are very strange bedfellows, especially because even the most orthodox of religions in America have religious laws that promote the very social services that their political operatives teach them to dismantle. By using the extreme beliefs of a few religious groups, the political right has used conservative religion as a pawn in a civic chess match in an increasingly liberal society. As a result, the religious right continues to try to speak for people of faith. I am determined in my vocation to ensure that that does not happen. Claiming that there is somehow a war on religion is not only intellectually dishonest, it is spiritually, some may say, as impure, a lie. Take abortion, for instance. Just several moons before the U.S. Supreme Court ruled on Roe versus Wade, what happened with the Southern Baptist Convention? They actually passed a faith statement supporting a woman's right to have an abortion. Several years after Roe versus Wade, 
there was no controversy among religious conservatives on this matter. So how did it become a wedge issue? Well, you have the specific so-called moral majority forming. And during a conference call, one of them said, hey, how about abortion? Why don't we use that as a way to see if we can get some votes in this district? And all of a sudden they're like, oh, that would never work. That's crazy. Do you know how many? They're like, well, let's just try it. And then all of a sudden it worked in one area of the country. Then they said, let's try it in another. And they realized that this was a way to tap into the religious heartbeat of conservative religion as a way to teach them that they should make this a war, that this really is their problem. And as a result, to this day, women's health has been a religious, perceived as a religious war. And here we are about to see these contraception mandate cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. The 28 cases that had previously enacted this contraception mandate never at once came forward with experiencing this kind of war. In fact, what was happening was the, the contrary. Religious groups were actually engaging in internal reform. All you have to do is to look at another wedge issue, and that is family. Who owns the word family or religion for that matter? Religious conservatives throughout the last decade have been engaging just like all of us have in the moral issue of homosexuality and the rights of same-sex couples to have equal treatment under the law when it comes to marriage rights. Individuals within these religious communities have lessened the death grip of the religious right and what it had on the institution of marriage. And as a result, the current political context has changed dramatically. Political operatives come to religiously conservative groups to say, you've already lost the institution of marriage. Do you want to see the war on religion be lost to a Muslim, the president? The, I mean, I'm telling you, these are like exact quotes from what's actually happening. I wish it weren't so obviously this divisive, but it is. In the last few years, marriage equality for same-sex couples have been sweeping the nation. The political right has used this as a way to capitalize on the fears of the religious right who vow to never sell their corporate shares on religious liberty. So what does liberty mean anyway? In dismissing one of the five dozen cases that were challenging the contraception mandate, federal district judge Jackson, Carol Jackson, explain that religious liberty is, quote, not a sword, but a shield. She made clear that freedom is not a means to force one's own religious practices on others. 
Liberty is a shield to protect, not a sword to cause harm. I am deeply concerned that two weeks ago, the majority of the U.S. Supreme Court blatantly disagreed with this definition. Rather, they upheld the dangerous idea that for-profit corporations can freely exercise religion, giving owners of the corporations a sword to potentially use on their employees. So let's look at the specifics. Who filed this case? Who is Hobby Lobby? The cases involve the evangelical Christian owners of Hobby Lobby, a craft store franchise in Oklahoma, and and the Mennonite owners of Conestoga Wood Specialties, a manufacturer here in Pennsylvania. Although it did not make it to the Supreme Court, the founder of Domino's Pizza had a similar lawsuit claiming that offering contraception coverage violates Roman Catholic doctrine. In fact, it was the American Catholic bishops and those at the Beckett Fund that were the primary organizers of the five dozen cases that were filed against the federal government in the last few years. These Christian owners claim that their religious liberty is substantially burdened when subsidizing an activity that they believe to be sinful. And they would be even more burdened if they were forced to pay the government fines if they were not to comply with such a requirement. You may not be surprised to hear that the seven state legislatures that banned the influence of Islamic religious laws and court decisions never argued that there should be the use that there should be a ban on the use of Christian religious laws in these court cases. The goal was to not simply use Christian law to exempt one from civil laws, but to radically expand the legal definition of a religious employer. They successfully argued that if corporations have free speech rights, as affirmed in the 2010 court case of Citizens United, then the owners of corporations also have the right to freely exercise religion and therefore should be exempt from any government action at odds with their beliefs. Now, even if these for-profit corporations were organized for the purpose of inculcating Christian laws through crafts, wood, and pizzas, they do not require religious tests for employment. Furthermore, they do not vet the beliefs of their consumers. They are not nonprofit religious organizations. For example, even if all of Domino Pizza's employees and customers were Catholic, you cannot argue with any intellectual honesty that those employees share the same beliefs. Though the Roman Catholic Church formally forbids the use of contraception. Recent Gallup polls show that 82% of American Catholics view birth control as morally acceptable, as do 87% of Republicans. This shows you that it's not a true war of a conflict of interests and beliefs. 
This is a political made-up machine in order to divide people. There was never a war on religion. It was made to be a war when political conservatives can use the rule book from Roe versus Wade to now use that in this context about contraception. They're trying to replicate the same kind of division that we saw all through the great era of the moral majority. As if this double standard wasn't blatant enough. The owners of Hobby Lobby gave $500 million in 2002 to evangelical Christian groups who have historically claimed the following argument. Parents, based on religious grounds, should have the right to use school vouchers, meaning to take away their own tax dollars to the state that would go for their public school and use it for the private school. This is a very difficult and one of the moral issues of our time. Their argument is that the state, by doing this, they're not indirectly subsidizing private schools. They're just using their own tax dollars to do that. But then they get to choose where their tax dollar goes, just like you get to choose whether or not you wanted to fund the Iraq war, right? The Hobby Lobby owners and their supporters have successfully argued in the U.S. Supreme Court that when the state mandates insurance companies to cover contraception, that their corporations are indirectly subsidizing sin. In one arena, evangelical Christian groups argue that indirect subsidies are unconstitutional. And in another, they claim that indirect subsidies are unconstitutional. It is mind-blowing. So which is it? In the last two weeks, the majority of the U.S. Supreme Court have allowed such groups to fundamentally change the legal definition of religious liberty from a shield to a sword. When did religious freedom mean that the money that I take out of your, the female employees that I supervise take out the money from their own benefits package to pay for their health insurance gives me the power as a religious owner of a for-profit company to erect a wall between my female employees and their doctors. This is not what Jefferson meant by a wall of separation. In her dissent against Hobby Lobby, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg said this, In a decision of startling breadth, the exemption sought by Hobby Lobby and Conestoga would deny legions of women who do not hold their employer's beliefs to access to a- deny access to contraception coverage. Justice Anthony Kennedy, the only moderate on the court, one argue, can argue, said, no, the court's opinion does not have that breadth or that sweep as ascribed by the respectful and powerful dissent. But ask any legal scholar, and you can cite dozens of cases where the court intended to issue a narrow ruling, but it was widely used to advance the same goals in other arenas. Now, Justice Alito said, don't worry, you know, the, the mandate 
not necessarily fall if it conflicts with other kinds of religious objections, such as immunization, because you might require the state might require that as a compelling state interest to combat the spread of infectious diseases. In turn, he's saying that immunization is a compelling state interest, but that women's health is not. The state would have to find other least restrictive ways for women to find coverage. What is the least possible way to achieve this goal? The high court would answer that five days later in an equally shocking ruling. Have you heard of this case of Wheaton College? It was a private four-year liberal arts college. What was the question at hand? The government said, you must fill out this form and notify us if, this, if you have a religious objection. And in doing so, you then exempt yourself from the mandate. The U.S. Supreme Court said that this constitutes a substantial burden to fill out a form. Apparently, filling out a certification form is too restrictive. What is less restrictive than than for the government to ask you to declare your intent to take an exemption. In speaking for the women of the court, Justice Kagan said in her dissent, just earlier this week, the court described this accommodation as reasonable and as a way to respect the religious liberty of religious nonprofits. And in this decision, they have retreated from that position. She said, that action evidences disregard for even the newest of this court's precedents and undermines the confidence of this institution. Regarding the merits of the case, she said, I have no doubt that Wheaton genuinely believes that signing a self-certificate form is contrary to its religious beliefs. But thinking one's religious beliefs are substantially burdened, no matter how sincere or genuine that belief may be, does not make it so. And what has happened since then? This week, George Fox University successfully argued in another court that they had the religious freedom to deny housing to its transgendered student. Once again, liberty became a sword. Why are these issues so significant? Because currently, in New York City, it is mandated by the city's health commission to require Orthodox Jews who want to participate in the religious rite of Matsitsa Pope to get informed consent from the parents. Why? Because the health department in New York City wants to make sure that parents know that if the moil is to engage in oral genital suction during the ritual circumcision, meaning to suck the blood off of the freshly circumcised penis during the religious rite, that these children may contract herpes, as have 11 children contracted herpes since 2011. The state is saying that they want the parents to sign a form saying, in the least restrictive means 
possible, that they understand the risks, and that they understand that if a child is to get herpes, that they could experience brain damage or death of the 11 children that contracted herpes as a result of the Metsitsa Pepe ritual rite, two children received brain damage and two children died. Now the U.S. Supreme Court has said that signing a form is too restrictive a burden. The stakes are incredibly high when it comes to looking at what one's religious values can do in the context of civil law. Another way to say this is whose God rules. This case, these, these number of cases and these circumstances that we are confronted with today, remind me of the very first free exercise case that came before the U.S. Supreme Court in 1879. Justice Waite said for a unanimous court, suppose that one believed in human sacrifice and it were a necessary part of religious worship. Would it be seriously contended that the civil government under which he lived could not interfere to prevent a sacrifice? Justice Waite asserted that to exempt religious acts from civil laws would, quote, to make the professed doctrines of religious belief superior to the law of the land and effect permit every citizen to become a law unto himself. That is exactly what the U.S. Supreme Court has permitted in the last two weeks. The professed doctrine of owners of for-profit corporations are superior to the law of the land and that every for-profit corporation and religious school can become laws unto themselves. In foreshadowing the, the potentially destructive effect that could result in ruling in favor of Hobby Lobby, countless legal scholars have warned and pleaded the court to look seriously at the potential consequences of creating a society where the religious laws of some can trump the civil laws of many. For instance, now that the state that now that the state were to grant religious exemptions for for-profit companies, something that has never happened in American history, will the state continue to single out that particular religious viewpoint as special and exempt from general neutral laws, so much so that the owner's religious beliefs can be used to deny rights and services to those with differing religious or non-religious beliefs? What if I'm the owner of a pizza franchise that uses religious dogma to justify terminating the employment of a single woman who became pregnant? Because it, it offends my religion that, of course, you had a child outside of wedlock. That is, that is a sin. My Bible, my God tells me so. And as the owner of this pizza franchise 
I cannot have you working for this great religious for-profit organization. The courts have routinely upheld this right for religiously affiliated private schools. So why not Domino's Pizza? Could, take for instance, Hobby Lobby terminate the employment of a married woman? Why would they do that? Because maybe she engaged in in vitro fertilization to become pregnant with her husband. Well, that can't happen because in vitro fertilization involves, could potentially involve the termination of some embryos and that would offend the corporation's sincerely held religious beliefs. Now, the courts have upheld similar rulings for religious schools to fire women for engaging in vitro fertilization and for terminating the employment of single pregnant women in states like New York, Cincinnati, and Florida, all in the last decade. Why? Because private religious schools, who are nonprofit, are legally exempt from civil rights laws that, have, that so-called have the freedom to kick pregnant women out on the street. That is not a religious doctrine. If they think it is, it's because the political operatives that have taught them to make it a wedge issue have become priests to their religion. The question is, shouldn't Hobby Lobby be able to then use their religious rights as, as a sword to then privilege the religious exercise of for-profit corporations? But then what about other religions? What about the 1,000 medications that contain some kind of pork or beef? Wouldn't some Muslims or Jews or Hindus refuse to then offer for their corporation's insurance coverage of anesthesia, intravenous fluids, prostheses, or pills coated with gelatin? Now, Justice Alito says that, oh, well, those cases have to be tried separately, which is code for bring on the slew of a whole new set of religion cases. But as we know from the statistics, they will likely fail because they are religious minorities. And their God doesn't rule this Christian nation, right? What if, as we have seen in Minneapolis just recently, that a Muslim taxi driver refuses to drive passengers who carry alcohol? This is an interpretation of Sharia law that says that alcohol cannot be consumed. And therefore, as a business owner, I don't want you to bring alcohol into my cab for me to take you to the bar or to the airport or wherever. The courts in this context have said, no, 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 you can't use religious justifications to prevent other people to have the right to carry Alcohol, the right. When did that become a constitutional right? And then there's, of course, what's happening in Hawaii, where the bed and breakfast owners 
refuse to house a lesbian couple for their wedding. And then there's, of course, the photographer in New Mexico, the florist in Washington, the innkeeper in Vermont, all who refuse to serve gays on their wedding night. And then there's my favorite example. What if religious owners of for-profit corporations did the same thing that religious clerics did last year in Saudi Arabia? They decided, get this, to forcibly remove two men from a festival. Did you hear about this? Why did they do this? Because the clerics deemed that these two men who came to the festival were too handsome. I'm not, that you can't even make this stuff up. They said, you are too handsome and that the women in the festival would find these men too irresistible. Therefore, God is commanding us for you to leave the country. Not just the festival. The country. Well, I think what's most disappointing about this is that there's obviously one person that can never go to Saudi Arabia, and that's Reverend Ken. He just, he can't. He's banished. And maybe Italy, too. (laughs) We can laugh or cry our eyes out, but we are entering into an era That is unprecedented, where religious liberty is no longer a shield protecting the most vulnerable among us. Religious liberty has become a very sharp sword where the God of the corporate owner can be used to rule many. And so I've come to say simply this, that you may be charged to be legally literate about the moral issues of our time, to speak in the public square as people of faith and make the clear distinction that liberty is a vote, not a veto. Owners of for-profit companies have the freedom to vote their conscience, to speak their mind, to persuade and petition and parade in the public square. This free exercise of speech and religion does not give them the right to unilaterally veto the rights of their employees. Doing this has established a de facto state religion where the corporations have become the nation's congregations and its owners, the high priests. God bless America. This is the mantra before us. I hope that you will engage in the moral issues of our time with intellectual honesty and not be victim to the belief that freedom is a zero-sum game. Thank you for your attention. Now, we will get ready with this song. Normally you engage in a prayer at this time, and I don't think it would be a little awkward if I then prayed for... I don't know. It just seemed weird. (laughs) Keep praying. But in this context... Let's honor 
another kind of intellectual discipline.